So this is the fourth in this short series on addressing the mess. And the first one was about acknowledging the mess in the mirror, sort of seeing that we're a bit of a mess ourselves and, and how we recognize a mess, really, because we are one. The second one, best mess ever, focused on how can, God can uh, bring good things out of or in spite of our messes. And the third one was entitled Inside Out and looked at how our fears can prevent us from being all that we could be because we avoid messing up. So we're just a bit too cautious. And today I'll be taking this a step further. So instead of just avoiding stuff, I'm asking us to think about moving towards the mess. And sometimes we can look around and uh, around us and it's the mess around us seems overwhelming. It might be Actually, this is not too overwhelming, the mess on the stage, is it? It's not too bad. It won't take very long to clear up. But it could be like uh, those messes on the clips. Can you imagine trying to clear up all that talcum powder and stuff? You know, it's just a nightmare. So there's mess outside around us. There may be mess in the world, and it just seems overwhelming. It's just too big. Sometimes we come across a big mess in someone else's life or our own lives, and we just want to walk away from it. We want to walk the other way, just like those characters in the story we just acted out. It could be financially, relationally, physically, health-related mess, spiritual mess. Our instinct can be to walk away from the mess rather than to move towards it. You may have an issue with somebody else. It's easier to think, oh, well, it'll sort itself out, rather than actually move towards it and try to sort it. Messes can be so big you don't want to begin to face them. And you avoid them and try to distract yourself maybe from the messes, either in your head or outside. Or maybe it's a, a world mess and you kind of think, oh, I can't cope with watching the news anymore. It's just too awful. And there's nothing I can do. We feel helpless. And we feel like sometimes, don't we? We feel like a rabbit caught in the headlights. The mess is too big. What can you possibly do to make a difference? So whether you are a person of faith and say you were following Jesus or someone just exploring faith, I'm sure that you would really want to be the sort of person that is about clearing up the mess rather than making it. That's the sort of people that most of us want to be. So we saw this parable acted out. Now, it was acted out, the parable was told by Jesus when he was asked by a teacher of the law what he must do to inherit eternal life. Um, now, a teacher of the law was a teacher of the religious law. So he would know the Old Testament, the Torah, backwards. He would be able to recite it to you. He would know it, chapter and verse, except they didn't have chapter and verse. But you know what I mean? He knew every word of the law. And what he was doing, he was looking for a loophole. He would know, because he studied the law, how he could inherit eternal life. So Jesus turns the question back to him and says, well, what do you think? And the guy replies, the teacher of the law says, uh, love the Lord my God with all my heart and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now go and do it. Easy peasy, not so easy. But the teacher of the law comes back and says, well then, who's my neighbor? This is the loophole he's looking for. Now, what's the minimum I can do to get eternal life? 
And then Jesus tells this story, which is quite a shocking story. So we talked about how the Levite and the priest were involved in the whole religious core of their culture, Judaism. They would both have known that they were supposed to help, but they crossed the road. They would know that deep in the law it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you were on the road in a heap, you would want somebody to take care of you. But they both in the story avoided this. Why? But the Samaritan had compassion. Why? Now, I want to tell you about an experiment that happened in the 80s. They wanted to find out why sometimes people are compassionate and sometimes people aren't. And it could be the same person. So they did this little experiment. They went to Princeton Seminary College where they train ministers. And they got a group of students involved in this experiment. I don't think they knew it was an experiment. So half of the students, well, all of the students were told to prepare a sermon. And then they had to go and give the sermon. It was like a practice sermon. So they had to prepare this sermon, and then they were called out, and they had to preach the sermon. Now, half of them, the sermon they had to preach on was the, the Good Samaritan. That was their theme. That was what they were asked to preach on. The other half were given other Bible text to preach on. And in turn, they were called out to give their sermons and be assessed on them. And every one of them, on the way to preach their sermon, came across a fella doubled up and groaning. Now, all of them were at seminary college. Do you think all of them stopped to help? No. Do you think that the ones who'd been meditating, thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan were the ones who stopped to help? Yes? No. It didn't matter what they were preaching on, what they'd been thinking about. Do you know what the key element was? Time. They were given timed sequences to go. So some of them were given a bit more time to get to their destination, and those stopped and helped. But the ones in a bit of a hurry were too preoccupied to see what was going on. Apparently, our default as human beings is to help, especially if we attend to the other person, if we look them in the eye. And apparently, there's something that happens in our brains. If you look to somebody in their eye, there's a kind of a meeting, and there's an empathy that starts between us. We need to be aware of the needs around us because self-absorption, hurry, and fear blinds and destroys compassion. We need to stop looking in and start looking out. Those students were too concerned about what they were doing. There is a spectrum of attendance that runs from, like, and we're going to put it up here, self-absorption, noticing, empathy and compassion. And you see it played out in that story, don't you? That the priest and the Levite were self-absorbed. They didn't want to stop. They were in a hurry. 
And if they had stopped, the man might have been dead. And if they touched the man, it would make them unclean and they wouldn't be allowed to go into the temple. It was kind of a thing that they did. They were too self-absorbed. They had noticed, they had seen, it tells in the story that they saw that man, but they walked on the other side of the road. So we need to notice what's going on. And we need to really take notice. And that would help us to be more empathic. And that will help us towards compassion. <coughs> Self-absorption, hurry and fear blinds the characters in the story and it destroys compassion. We need to stop looking in and start looking out. But then the, the Samaritan comes along and to give a bit of an idea about the shock value of the story, I'm going to read you a friend's modern political take on the story. <clears throat> Are you ready? One day, an Eastern European fruit picker who'd been up since 5am picking strawberries in the field for less than minimum wage was walking back from work when he was caught by two people, thrown to the ground, kicked and beaten, and his wallet and phone stolen. A member of the Conservative Party was walking past, but was busy on the way to a luncheon, so didn't stop. A member of the Lib Dems walked past, busy delivering their Lib Dem focus, and didn't stop. Two members of the Labour Party were walking and arguing about who should be leader, and they didn't stop either. A priest walked on by, as did many others. By this time, it was four in the afternoon, and a member of the English Defence League walked by. He was coming back from a protest against immigration, and he walked by. He walked over, and he asked the man if he's okay, and he immediately hears a foreign accent, and he reaches into his bag. The fruit picker thinks he might be trying to hurt him, but he takes out a first aid kit. He wipes his wounds, gives him a sling for his broken arm, and takes him to the hospital. Day after day, he visits him to t make sure he gets a full recovery. But you say to me, that would never happen. The EDL are a bunch of racists and hooligans. Why would they help an immigrant? Well, this is the story that Jesus tells. It's just as shocking. At the end of the story, Jesus is telling us to be less self-absorbed and more attentive and compassionate. He says, go and do likewise. Self-absorption, hurry and fear blinds us and destroys compassion. We need to stop looking in and start looking out. They would all have known, because this story is about a particular road, and they would know that that road is dangerous. <clears throat> they might think it's a trap. They might think they'd be the next. But Samaritan risks everything to help. So how can we go and do likewise? One way is to notice, to open our eyes and to attend. I used to avoid giving eye contact to the big issue seller up in town. Do you ever do that? You kind of think, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to look at him. And now there's one outside Aldi. And I was really challenged about this. Self-absorption, hurry and fear blinded me and destroyed compassion. 
and I needed to stop looking in and looking out. I now give eye contact to the guy uptown. I used to be a Levite, but my aim is to become more like a Samaritan. Interestingly, over the years, I've got quite a rapport with him now. I don't have to give him money. I sometimes buy him a sandwich. I rarely buy his magazine. Not my style. But I found that when I'm in Reading, or my hometown, and I find myself tempted to walk by big issue sellers. So what's the difference? And I've recognised what I'm doing, and I've stopped doing it. Because this is a human being. So if hurry is an issue, then we need to make more time for people. Hurry and rush is corrosive. It's corrosive for every relationship, isn't it? It's corrosive in our families. It's corrosive in our jobs. It's corrosive in society. And one very wise man recommends that we ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. If we want to get anywhere near following God, we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Because self-absorption, hurry and fear blinds us and destroys compassion. We need to stop looking in and look out. Now, the story that I told you about at Princeton comes from a TED talk by a chap called Daniel Goleman. And you can find it on YouTube. There are some really good talks on there on compassion. And this one is worth a watch, as are some of the others. So he started his talk with that story I just told you, and he finishes his talk with this story, which we're just going to show now. Some time ago, when I was working for the New York Times, it was in the 80s, I did an article on what was then a new problem in New York. It was homeless people on the streets. And I spent a couple of weeks going around with a social work agency that ministered to the homeless. And I realized, seeing the homeless through their eyes, that almost all of them were psychiatric patients that had nowhere to go. They, were, they had a diagnosis. It made me re... It, what it did was to shake me out of the urban trance where when we see... when we're passing someone who's homeless in the periphery of our vision, it stays on the periphery. We don't notice and therefore we don't act. One day soon after that, it was a Friday, uh, at the end of the day, I went was going down to the subway, it was rush hour, and thousands of people were streaming down the stairs, and all of a sudden as I was going down the stairs, I noticed that there was a man slumped to the side, shirtless, not moving, and people were just stepping over him, hundreds and hundreds of people. And because my urban trance had been somehow weakened, I found myself stopping to find out what was wrong. The moment I stopped, half a dozen other people immediately ringed the same guy. And we found out that he was Hispanic, he didn't speak any English, he had no money, he'd been wandering the streets for days, starving, and he'd fainted from hunger. Immediately, someone went to get orange juice, someone brought a hot dog, someone brought a subway cop. This guy was back on his feet immediately. But all it took was that simple act of noticing. And so I'm optimistic. Thank you. That's quite a story, isn't it? Just takes one person to notice, have the courage to stop, and all these other people join in. It took one person not to be self-absorbed, to notice, to have empathy and compassion. 
And sometimes the reality is it's actually easier to join with others, isn't it, to help rather than go it on your own. It can be scary to move towards the mess. I don't know if you're aware, but today is Homeless Sunday. This seems to fit well with what we're talking about. Here are a few facts about homelessness in Bracknell and general. Any one of us is only three pay slips away from being homeless. That's quite scary, isn't it? During the Bracknell Night Shelter, at the beginning of 2016, 40 names were registered. And on average, 15 people stayed each night. Currently, we have about 10 people staying. The government states that the numbers reported sleeping rough in England has more than doubled between 2010 and 2015. 2016 figures are not available yet. But actually, a lot of homeless people don't even register as homeless. They're sleeping on people's sofas or getting by in other ways. So the government estimates are nowhere near the reality. And the, the, the problem is growing exponentially. In 2015, Bracknell Forest Council said it spent £1 million a year on temporary accommodation for people. I would guess that many of you would know we've joined with eight other churches to help run a night shelter for homeless people in Bracknell over the winter. We started last year, and I've been one of the helpers. We decided with courage got from joining with other people to move towards the problem. It's easier to join with a group, as I said, to, than to go alone. And it was very scary to start with. That first night with these people was very scary. But then when you notice them, when you look them in the eye, when you get to know them, it triggers empathy and compassion. These men and women that come here over Wednesday evening are not statistics, they're people with a very real story. And sometimes you don't know who are the helpers and who are the punters, because it's not that obvious. They look, some of them, just like you and me. It can make all the difference for us as well. Our being alongside them has made a change in our lives. I think everybody who started helping last year said they got more out of it than they felt they put in. Our being alongside people in need brings us closer to God because God has a heart for people like that. It builds our compassion. It makes us appreciate our blessings more. It changes us and it grows us and it is what Jesus is calling us to in that story so familiar, but what do we do with it? Who are we really in that story? If we're honest, most of us are like the Levites, aren't we? Very few of us are like the Samaritan. And sometimes we kind of jump in between. It doesn't have to be homelessness that you have to move towards. But when you get involved with people on the fringes, it teaches us to love more and judge less. But as I said, it doesn't have to be homeless people. There may be some, there's something about moving towards the mess. 
whatever that means to you. It could be a member of your family or a situation at work. It could be a world issue or a political issue. Rather than walking on the other side, move towards the mess. Do for one what you would wish to do for everyone. Don't feel guilty that you can't move towards every mess. But maybe God has brought something to your attention and that's what he wants you to move towards. Don't wait, go now. God uses messy people to love messy people. We're all in this together. But beware because self-absorption and fear blinds us and destroys compassion. We all need to stop looking in and look out. I've got some cards here that is a prayer that I want you to take home with you. And it's, it's a homeless Sunday prayer. And um, the prayer's on the front and there's information and websites that you can get involved with at the back. And when Colin comes back in a minute and he, he's going to sing a song, I want you to come up and take a card. Now, we don't often ask you to come to the front, but it's like crossing to the other side of the road. You know, it makes, it's a, an effort of will. And it may not be that you want to pray for homelessness, but I want you to do something as an act to say, I am prepared to take notice. I'm prepared to move towards a mess, whatever that mess may be.